Good morning, Hope Church. Really good to be with you again. We're going to pray as we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for today. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would guide us. We ask that we would know your word in our hearts today. Give us understanding, give us wisdom, and more than anything, help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Last week, we started our series on faith in action. And so this week is part two. Uh, just want to recap what we looked at last week. If you haven't looked at it or listened to it, then I'd encourage you to do so. So we started this journey on looking at faith. We began by looking at what the word faith means in the New Testament. And we established that faith is not a passive word. It is not something that we agree with mentally only, but it is something that is active, something that requires us to devote our lives to it. We looked at how the word allegiance best captivates this life of faith. We looked at the various nuances of the meaning of the word faith and established that its main meaning is one of trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. We finished last week by highlighting the need for a complete commitment to Jesus, a commitment that is wholly given to Jesus Christ, a commitment that excludes our commitments to all other things. We recognise that everything God wants to do is done through his church, that is, his people, and the head of this church is Jesus Christ himself. So those are the areas that we looked at last week. Uh, this week, you know, we start from a very strong position of faith. Once we give our allegiance to Jesus, we become part of his organisations, or better put, we become part of his kingdom. A kingdom that is made up of all those who are committed to him. This is the church. At its head is the wisest, most powerful, most selfless, righteous, holy person. One who has lived on this earth, one who understands our suffering, who has conquered sin, who has passed through death and is now alive in all his glory. No one else can boast to have such a leader at the head of their organisation. We have everything to be thankful for and we should have every confidence in Jesus. We should be proud to be part of his body, the church. The challenge that we face when we follow Jesus Christ is that the church does not run like a business in the world. It does not follow the world's principles of leadership, nor the world's values and practices. It runs on faith. We're going to move through Hebrews 11. We're just going to look at the first couple of verses today, but we'll read the whole chapter in a moment. And as we go, we'll find that there are many people, all part of God's kingdom, from different generations and different circumstances, and yet they had this common element of faith in their lives. Let's read Hebrews 11. I'm reading from the New International Version. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was sorry, 
so that what is seen was not made from what is visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a better country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offering, that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea, as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were, though, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect." What an amazing chapter on faith. What a hall of fame, what a gallery of amazing people who demonstrated their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to offer a few initial thoughts uh, on this chapter. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is that none of the people had an easy life. Their lives were not easier than ours, and in fact many of them had much harder lives than we do. This should give us great comfort. We can live a life full of faith no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Secondly, they always appeared to be in the minority. Many of these people had to go it alone. They faced much opposition. They often swam in the opposite direction of everyone else. They had to face peer pressure, persecution, but they were always victorious. But not in our modern sense of the word victorious, but we'll see that in the next point. Thirdly, their faith was focused on their eternal future. Faith, as we shall come to see, was not about receiving things only on the earth. It is a trust and confidence in God. Some of these people saw victory others were sawn in two. Some made it through the lion's den, others were killed by the sword. Yet both groups lived by faith. They did it to obtain a better resurrection. Not health, wealth and prosperity on earth. Why waste faith on things that can perish, when faith can give you a much better resurrection? Fourthly, Faith is not dependent upon social class or status. Faith is not limited by God. He doesn't limit it to the rich or the poor, the educated or the uneducated. It is available to all. We see in the Bible that kings uh, acted in faith as did prostitutes. 
And so we're going to turn now to Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Hebrews 11 verse 1, the NIV. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Right here at the beginning of this chapter there are two principles that I want to highlight. First of all, faith is confidence and trust in God. You'll hear me repeat this time and time again because repetition helps us to remember. The second is that faith receives commendation from God. All of the people were commended by God in Hebrews 11. That is, God rewards people for their faith. These principles occur again and again throughout this chapter, and when you see faith throughout the, the Bible, you'll find that again, God rewards those people, and you'll see it is re a reward for their trust in him. In the secular world, people are commended for output, how much they produce or how much profit they make. God commends anyone who has complete faith in him, and he rewards them for that faith. So faith is confidence. Confidence in what? In what God has promised. But faith is more than that. Faith is the mechanism that releases God's reward. Faith brings the promise into reality. Now, we've got to be careful here because although faith brings God's promise into reality, that reality is not always seen. It is not always given in the way that we expect, and it's not given in a timeline that is necessarily suitable for us. This again highlights that faith is not in the main about possessions and wealth. You'll struggle to find anything to do with possessions and wealth in Hebrews 11, but faith does include human need. I want to talk for a minute about how faith works. In my younger years, I trained as a design engineer. During that journey, I came across uh, an electronic item called a transistor. A transistor has three connectors, two inputs and one output. Let's look at the diagram. It should come up on the screen now. A transistor can accomplish one of two functions. It can either amplify a weak signal or it can be used as a switch to allow a much bigger current flowing through. The idea is simple. You supply a small electric current through one connector, and this releases an amplified or larger current through the second connector, and it flows out through the third connector. Now here's the rub. If there is no current through the connector labeled B, then there is no current coming out through connector E. The current through B, no matter how tiny it is, releases a much larger current from C through to E. Now, why am I mentioning this? Because I think it is a marvelous model of faith. God makes a promise, a promise that we do not have the power to create or achieve. The promise requires more power than we possess. And yet when we believe the promise, we are in actual fact putting a small current of faith through B, and then God releases his promise, the power, the grace through C, and we receive it through that channel E. However, if we do not apply faith at B, there is no release of the promise. 
The difference between receiving the promise and not receiving is faith. We cannot wait for a feeling or a sign. We must step out into the void, trust God, knowing God will supply. I want to look at Hebrews 11.1 uh, again, but I'm reading from the J.N. Darby translation. He says this, Now faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This really encapsulates this idea of a transistor. Faith makes the invisible tangible and real. As we apply faith, God brings through in grace the promise that he has made to us. But we need to supply the faith and God provides a much bigger channel of power. Now, the final kind of question in this area is faith in what? Now, faith is always in Jesus and his promises, not in our desires. I think one of the challenges of the church is often we want God to do our desires and we say we have faith for it. But if it's not something that is part of God's will and plan, then it's not going to happen. We can only have faith in what God has promised. Now, that doesn't mean that what you desire um, will not happen, but it means that we use prayer to talk to God and say, God, this is what I think should happen. And then we wait for a response and we act in faith to the response that God gives to us. The operation of faith can be seen time and time again in the Bible. Take some time this week, read through one of the Gospels, and whenever you see a miracle, ask yourself the question, where is that act of faith from the individual that releases the power of God? In uh, Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move nothing will be impossible for you. You get this idea again with the transistor. A small amount of faith, a small current, releases a large grace of God or power from God, and that is what moves the mountain. Faith, as small as a mustard seed, can move a large mountain. The biggest challenge through the ages for all of us who would follow Christ is faith. That faith is in the invisible God. Colossians 1 verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 2 Corinthians 4.18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Faith is not believing what you see, it is seeing what you believe. It's a big challenge. Thomas, in the Bible, Jesus spoke to him after he saw Jesus and said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know, it's a big challenge to trust in a God that we cannot see, to trust in promises without a feeling or a sign, but that trust releases the power of God into our lives. Our context is not any more difficult than in ages past. In many ways, things are easier at the moment, although I don't think they will remain so for long. Every day, we are confronted with a choice. Believe what we see, or believe what we do not see, and trust in God's Word. The world clearly only believes what it sees. 
and it ridicules and persecutes those who do not go along with them. And yet it is the men and women of faith that change the world and history teaches us this. The biggest challenge is to know what to believe. In this regard, we are blessed because we have a Bible. This is God's word to us. Now, we do need to mind the context. It's important that we understand the context in which a promise is given. But the Bible is so full of promises that are ready and ripe for any man and woman of faith to take a hold of and apply in the right context. Are you facing a challenge at work or at home? Well, here's a promise from Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. God will give us strength. He will supply what we need so that we can get through the situation. What a tremendous promise. As you look, as you believe, grace will flow and the promise is released. One final area I want to mention is about faith and facts. On the one hand, I've been saying that we believe God's promises and not the world around us. Many will call that living by faith and not by facts. However, the question arises, what is a fact? We come again to this scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. The world would have you believe in its facts. The, these are the things that are temporary and changeable. We are called to believe God's facts, eternal, unchangeable truths. Facts that have the power to bend nature and natural laws. God's facts are not limited to the laws of nature. They are not limited to anything. He can change all of them, as we've seen as we read through the Bible. The woman with the issue of blood is a great example. The fact of the world was she would always have that medical condition. And yet the fact of God was that in faith that could be changed. We are given a chance every day to say, are we going to believe God's word or are we going to believe in what the world wants us to see? Do we believe the world's facts or do we trust in Jesus? Let me tell you, trusting in Jesus is always better. It does mean, however, that our faith is based on facts, not the facts of the world, but the immutable facts of Jesus as a person, his character and his promises. These are true facts. Everything else is but shadows and dust. I want to finish this morning with a quote from Smith Wigglesworth, one of his most famous quotes. He said this, God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I pray this morning that we would have the power to just believe, to trust in Jesus Christ. We are coming into times where the world will not supply what we need. The world will not carry us through and we need to be men and women of faith. Those who can trust in lockdown, in isolation, in persecution, through easy times, through hard times. Those who have their eyes fixed on Jesus and say, you know what? He has promised and he will deliver. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. 
I want to pray that you would enable us. I want to pray that you would strengthen us. And I want to pray more than anything that you would equip us in these days to trust in you implicitly, completely, that we would trust in you uh, with all of our heart and being. Lord, I pray, would you meet every need? Would you give the strength that we need today? And Father, more than anything, I pray today, we would know that supply of faith that would help us to move mountains in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.